another episode of Behind the Mic. I'm your host, of course. Make sure you like, subscribe to this podcast, and leave a rating in iTunes when you listen to Apple. This is all powered by Anchor FM, which is now part of the Spotify family. So we thank all of them. And uh, you can get the podcast, of course. The, the major ones, we'll start with Anchor because they're the host. They're the ones that makes this all possible. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I know Stitcher is one of those, but many of you, as I've seen through the numbers, listen uh, through the Apple device. And, of course, on your phone, it's pretty easy. With more people back to work and in the car, I could see uh, podcast numbers going up. You know, I, I was wondering... I've seen kind of a dip in podcast numbers. People have talked about it, and I think a lot of that has to do with people not on the road. And uh, podcasts are people streaming. I don't know how many people listen to podcasts at their lunch break or at night. I think it's really a drive-to-work thing. I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong, but it just seems like that's what it is. And and that's why I've uh, I've talked about this before a few times about there's um, there's some luxuries with us working at home right now with my job at Framingham State. I'm doing two home, three in the office. But the drawbacks there's a there's a big trickle down effect with everything that's going on right now. Yes, it's more convenient for all of us to work at home. But and and many have said, well, that would be great if that was a long term thing. Okay, that's fine, and and I don't mind that opinion. But I like to look at both sides of that. You know, the counter to that and something that I, I talk about, you're going to have a lot of businesses, office buildings are going to be vacant. They're going to um, be on lean. And I know a lot of people don't care, but you should because some of those will be your your dads, your sisters, your, your uncles, people who are property owners. Um, you know, who knows what those buildings will turn into. But to counter that, maybe that will turn into something good. But with less people traveling is not good. That's where... We're not going to breakfast. We're not going to our Dunkin' Donuts, the Starbucks, getting gas. Uh, less people hurts the economy. So we have to think about that. I I really think that we should go to a four-day work week and make a um, day off if you did it on a Wednesday or had people rotate where everybody, you still worked 40 hours, but you had a, a day of the week off. And just think about that. If you had a Monday off or a Wednesday off, and all these businesses could do specials around this, like, hey, is today your, I don't know what you call it, your off day, you know, your your, um, your weekday off day, and do specials around it. You know, wouldn't it be nice to go shopping on a Wednesday and just do whatever you want? That, I think, would help the economy because you'd still have people working 40 hours. They'd still be out. Um, they'd be on the roads longer. They'd, they'd be working longer hours. And hopefully that would funnel back the economy without making major changes. But um, full remote for me is not something I want to do or think it's good economy-wise. I've gotten way off topic, but it kind of led me into this week with all the talk about uh, Bill Belichick is spending money. And there, it's just I, – I love seeing so much um, – I don't know. I, I don't think a lot of the things that I see anymore on Twitter or through the sports media is even factual. I don't know how many people actually do research anymore. I think it's it's been lost. We are we've become such a fantasy football community now. Is uh, Nelson Aguilar signs and everyone Google's his name and sees that he didn't have 100 catches and they say he stinks and he's overrated and all that. You, you, you people are just. Um, we're just become so naive with things that uh, real sports is not fantasy, okay? Players are not um, taken based on their fantasy ratings. 
there are certain skills that each NFL team has a system that they employ. And one thing that the Patriots love is that three-cone drill during um, the combine. And if you look at some of the receivers that they have decided to go with in their history, they've never had really big names with the exception, of course, of Randy Moss um, and Welker, who they traded for. But I remember at the time when they traded for Welker, everybody was like, they're giving up draft picks in the division to get Welker? Well, they were right on that. And Edelman and Gronk, you know, all these – all these draft picks, you know, that I'm hearing everyone say that Belichick's drafts stink. Okay, okay, so the tight ends they drafted last year have not become Pro Bowls players in their first year. That happens. You can't say and sit here on the side and say that Cam is bad and then his receivers are bad. It's got to be one or the other. We are just, we've just become so negative and so quick to throw cold water on everything now. And it's it's really it's it's too bad. You know, I feel bad for a lot of the young people that are growing up with this this kind of sports culture because it's terrible to me. I've I've really been turned off by it. I really have. I've watched sports less and less. Um, there's just no thought put into anything anymore. You know, all the people that just sit here and tell me how bad Belichick drafts, and then if I say, well, he drafted Tom Brady, oh well, you can't count that. Why not? Why not? They were the only team that contacted Michigan. You go watch the Brady Six. It's all in front of you. But all the people that, that hate the Patriots, and, and a lot of this is personal. People hate Belichick. That's what this is all about. That I know. It's all a personal thing against him. But they were the only team that called Michigan. They found Brady. All right? So you can't discount that when you argue with somebody. Belichick had four quarterbacks in 2001 and elevated Brady to the number two. He stuck with Brady after Bloodsoe. He helped start that, and Brady finished it. Once Brady got the ball, he he really ran with it. And, of course, they both are in charge of, of each other being great to me. But you, you sit here, and I hear, I hear so many people tell me this, and then when I bring up examples of draft picks, it's just – I don't know. I don't hear anything back. I mean, you, you Gronk, Edelman, Hightower, all the offensive linemen that they've taken in the draft. How about all the non-drafted free agents? Why doesn't that count? You know, then well, Sony Michelle was a first-round pick. Okay. But overall, um, then tell me who's better. How many top five quarterbacks in the draft now over the last – go look this up. Over the last 20 years, look at the top five picks in the draft – and when they've been a quarterback, a lot of them have not done well. You screw up like the Jets with the number three pick a few years ago in Sam Darnold, you're in a hole for a long, long time. But it brings me back to what I originally wanted to talk about with the spending with Belichick, and we are surprised. You should not be. He has always adjusted to anything whether it be the salary, whether it be game conditions, whether it be playing under the COVID, whether it be playing with a different quarterback. Think about it. When he got here, his situation, he was handed the keys to this organization after leaving Bill Parcells. They didn't feel internally, and this wasn't just because Bledsoe got hurt. They drafted Brady and they brought in extra quarterbacks because they didn't feel Bledsoe was the guy, and they were right on that. And you got to look at, that part of Belichick, you know, forming that first team, 
saying Brady's going to be our guy. Once they committed to Brady and then they built more of a defensive team around him, then when things got better and Brady got better, they surrounded him with more pieces. The offense became different. Then they went to that Randy Moss, Wells Welker. You know, everyone says they've never really done what what they're doing now. Yes, they did. They went out and got tons of weapons. Dante Stallworth, Welker, Moss. I mean, they you know they were the best team, one of the best teams in the history of the league. They adjusted to that. Then after that didn't work because it wasn't working. And there's a there's a part of um, I can't remember what documentary it was. And Belichick was in his office saying, "Listen, our offense right now they can take away Randy and, and Welker, and we just can't move the ball." And it got to that point where their offense didn't work, and they went. And rediagrammed it all. They've adjusted and adjusted. And yes, that one consistent was Tom Brady, but there's been a lot of consistence in this league right now that have not won. You know, if you want to tell me that Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and these other guys are, are, are right on par with Brady, why aren't, why aren't they winning more? Why aren't these coaches better? You know, are they doing are they doing what has been better? Has Green Bay done the best they can around Aaron Rodgers? I don't think so. I, I really wish my my ultimate dream is that I wish people just enjoyed sports more. I just, and maybe it's the the social media culture. It's maybe from from maybe on the Twitter, but it just seems that many of us are just, I don't know. It's um it's turned into just a lot of garbage now, and and doesn't seem like people enjoy it as much. And I w- I wish you did because it's fun. It's fun. You're gonna like this interview this week is Lauren Campbell. She's a Framingham State alum where I went to school, and Lauren is writing. And doing big things for Nesson. She's a, a young star in this business, and she's got a great story. So enjoy it. All right, Lauren, good to see you. And you know, in honor of National Women's Month for March, welcome to Family Features. And uh, you know, you're a 2015 graduate, so um, this is your reunion year with everything that's been going on. It's crazy. It's gone by so fast. Um, particularly the last year, I just feel like everything just kind of meshed together, but. Um, it just, wow, that's reunion year. Goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us about Nesson. I mean, what, what a great gig. Uh, we're all proud of you at Framingham state. So, uh, congrats on that. Thank you. It's, it's so much fun. I'm living my dream, honestly. And it's really true what they say, find what you love to do. You never feel like you're working. Um, so I primarily cover the four major new England sports, um, the Celtics Bruins, Red Sox and Patriots. Um, I do a lot of Bruins stuff, so very heavy into that right now, especially in the offseason, too, because you want to engage the Bruins fans. You want to try to get that preseason content, the preview content, um, just kind of anything to get eyes on on Bruins stuff. And we also have a heavy presence on site in TD Garden, Gillette, um, Fenway. So that's it's so much fun. Like I said, it's you know, I get paid to write about the games. I get paid to go to these games. Like what more, what more could I want out of life? I'm, I'm so grateful to be there coming up on three years there already. It's flown by. I've had so many amazing opportunities and honestly, it all started at FSU. I just, it's so much fun to think, think back, like just working on the gate posts and how that experience got me so prepared for what was to come. Yeah. I was going to mention that, you know, you can go into a college and think, well, it's just, it's just a college newspaper. What am I really going to get out of it? But you get reps, right? You get training. So Framium State gave you that, and you really took the ball and ran with it. I, I tried to take advantage of it as much as I could because 
I had my journalism professor, Desmond McCarthy, basically tell me, you know, you're not going to get a job in journalism, specifically writing. You're not going to be a journalist without getting on the student newspaper. And it's a small group. They were so amazing. And you get that real life experience that maybe you won't get at a bigger school because it's a bigger school simply as that. Yeah. And, you know, we got to cover games live. We got to tweet about them. We got to interview players and coaches right after the games. So it really got you into it thinking like they just had a bad loss. What kind of questions are we going to ask? How are we going to approach this? And you really got a feel of working in a newsroom. I mean, we were there sometimes until 3 a.m. I think I saw sunrise a couple of times. So it gives you that feel of working under pressure, working um, on a deadline and getting everything formatted. And also working with other departments, you know, I was primarily sports, but if arts and features needed something, if opinion needed something, if they needed help, who am I to say no? Like we're all trying to put out our best work in a student newspaper together. So it just had a little bit of everything and it's just, it was so rewarding. Yeah. This is great for people that are watching it for, for young kids that want to get into what you're getting into. The gate post is almost like a full-time job on, on campus. It is. It really is. Especially, you know, it's hard too. You're taking classes. And I know for me in particular, I had Friday morning classes at 830. So I knew what I was getting into. And but it's just part of the adrenaline, part of the fun. And part of too, like, it helps you realize, is this what you want to do? Do you want to be a writer? Are you more into like laying out the newspaper? Are you more into writing? Um, So it just it gives you so many options. And it's, it's such a, a fun yet professional environment. And it gives you so, so much experience. I know I look back at Framingham State and my experience. I, I think of it so much more than I did at the time. I'm sure you're five, six years out now, but I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Oh, for sure. Like it's, I just look back and just think all the time, like how amazing it was, how lucky I am and just how it all really came together and how it just started with the gate post. Yeah. You know, what's great now, I think if you're in this business, there are so many outlets in the position you have with Nesson. I mean, maybe 10, 15 years ago, so many jobs weren't even born yet. And you have one of those. That's another thing about journalism. It's always evolving. I know in the three years I've been there, we've um, created positions. We have a social media position now that five years ago, I mean, social media was big, but not as big as it is now. People are all over Twitter, Instagram, and it just makes a a company more relatable to a younger person or even just somebody who's kind of scrolling through Twitter. It's like, oh, hey, Nesson tweeted this like funny gif from the Bruins game. So it's crazy to see how much it evolved. And just, you know, I know my position hasn't always existed. Like I said, I've seen other positions be created. And that's another, that's just really cool thing about journalism is that we're evolving to the world and it's like, we're just adapting because that's what you need to do. You can't be a a newspaper 24 seven, you know, we have to adapt. And I think, I think a lot of outlets have done so well with that. Did you learn some other skills at Framingham state that have really helped? I know with Photoshop and all the, all those other things now that you really have to be a true utility person. You do. I think um, I got really involved in social media Um, I've always had Twitter. I've had Twitter for maybe about 10 years, but I didn't get too much into it until we took a social media class and we had to be kind of a little more active on Twitter and try to figure out how to uh, get engagement. 
And I think that's one of the hardest things is you can have 10,000 followers, but you can tweet something and it gets five likes. How do I get this engagement? How do I um, become relatable? Um, So a lot of that was super helpful. Um, I never knew a thing about Photoshop (laughs) until I went to Framingham State and just learning the little bit of basics that I learned at the gate post, laying out the newspaper using InDesign was super helpful because it's rare, but there are times we have to use a Photoshop at Nesson. And if it wasn't for the gate post, I would have no idea what I was doing. I would just have to call in and be like, help me. I Photoshop 101. I don't know what I'm doing. That's great. Yeah. That first week when you're at Nesson, I know that when I get started professionally, I remember man, I, I felt lost like those, those first couple of weeks, there's no manual to this. So you, you know, it's cool in a way, cause you're kind of learning, but then you can look back and say, wow, I, I got through that. I'm doing okay. I can breathe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's you meet so many people and you're just trying to focus on like the people in your department, because you know that they're going to be your backbone for a little while. Uh, I work the night shift, but they start you on days to get you acclimated with the workflow and try to get you affiliated with everybody because, you know, I have a coworker who works seven to three and right. when we were in the office, I never saw him because I go in at four. So <laughs> to me, he was just another name. So it's nice to see names and faces, faces to names, and then just kind of learning the workflow and just kind of having that one specific person that you can lean on, even if they're not on shift with you. It's so, so important because once you find that footing, you start feeling a little less lost, your days are a little bit less stressful, and you just really know how to manage the, the shift. Speaking of that, I, I call them well, mentors, but even almost a sponsor. You know, you have to have sponsors in this business. Is there, there's somebody that really inspires you in, in, the, in the field that you're in? Yeah, there, there's quite a few. I mean, unfortunately, Nick Cafardo was one of those people oh, yeah, yeah. Who passed away a year ago. Um, he was somebody I loved reading in high school. I really mirrored my stuff after him. And it just looking forward to his columns and his uh, work every week was something I truly loved and loved trying to make that work like kind of how I wanted to write. Um, and, you know, Nicole Yang with the Boston Globe, she is the Celtics beat writer now. She's absolutely incredible. Her feature stories are just worth every single word. You just get roped in and she has such a way to really get the most out of everybody. And I think anybody who wants to be a feature writer, whether it's sports or not, needs to read her stuff because it's just absolutely incredible. So those two really, really come to mind. Um, just growing up in, in Boston too, is to have those people work within the, the Boston teams was super special because it's like everybody reads these people. You know, it's not a Bob Nightingale, a Ken Rosenthal. These are Boston writers who have a national presence. Well said, Lauren. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Well, as I'm recording this right now, the Bruins are in quarantine because of the COVID-19 and they've had a couple of games postponed, but Lauren does a great job and that was a great interview. Hope you enjoyed the podcast this week. Make sure to like, subscribe, give a rating, leave feedback, give comments. Follow me on Twitter at the Radio Mike. Antonellis.michael at gmail.com is the email address. Peace and love.